Well, hello there and welcome, friends, family, industry vets, new consumers, and grandparents. We're happy to bring you the latest episode in the Lit and Lucid podcast series. This week, we had the chance to chat with Ben Gelt, chairman of the Cannabis Certification Council. We're going to discuss what the council is, who they are, and what message they're trying to spread. Ben is going to teach us more about the hashtag What's in Your Weed campaign and why sustainable, clean cannabis matters. If you like our show, do us a favor and share us on one of your social channels. We're always looking for new guests, new movements, new news, and the latest trend in the cannabis industry, and you or someone in your network could be the missing link. As always, we appreciate you taking the time to listen and taking part in our elevated education. Here's your show. to the Lit and Lucid podcast. You're recording live for episode 32 with Ben Gilt. He is the board chair of the Cannabis Certification Council. What's up, Ben? Hey, guys. How are you this afternoon? Doing great. How about yourself? Pretty well, thank you. Getting well, a little end-of-day sunshine in my, in my room here. There Perfect. you go. Well, we are super excited to have Ben on today. He's going to talk to us about the Cannabis Certification Council, they are the first nonprofit third party organization focused on education to drive the demand for transparency, clean, and sustainable production in the industry. So, basically, what they're doing is really just starting to educate the consumer on the need for us to be educating on ourselves and to demand from others this transparency about what we're consuming. So this clean cannabis product that we're all aiming for. And so we're really just trying to focus on that transparency and bringing that to the forefront in the industry. Uh, Ben has also co-founded the Organic Cannabis Association in 2015, and he's been working in the cannabis industry um, and on policy since 2011. So he's really been working on this subject matter for a long time here uh, in Denver, Colorado. So we're good and excited to hear about that and all of your experience um, behind cannabis. And then he also, um, the Cannabis uh, Certification Council has a hashtag what's in your weed social media campaign. So we're really excited to hear about that and hopefully get our listeners behind that campaign as well. Yeah, uh, that's that sounds pretty good. I'm like, is that me? Um, <laughs> yeah, you know, well, thank you, really. Thank you for having me on and for giving me the opportunity to talk about this. Um, you know, I am the board chair of the Cannabis Certification Council, and as you said, our focus really is um, education. So, you know, we actually started out as the Organic Cannabis Association, and then we merged with another group based in Portland last year in the spring and became the council, um, which was really great because we went from being a semi-national, you know, organic cannabis association was doing okay and it has a, had a good name. I mean, it was a very obvious sort of mission, um, but the merger helped us really branch out. We have some great board members now in California and Washington and advisory board members in Washington, uh, I'm sorry, California and Oregon and advisory board members in uh, Washington, California, Oregon, hey kitty, um, all over the place. And, you know, it's, it really helped us kind of expand um, and also allowed us to break the mission out a little bit. Because when we were the Organic Cannabis Association, um, 
it was very specific and niche and becoming the cannabis certification council allows us to talk more broadly about clean production, about ethical production and sustainable production. Um, so one of the things that we learn and, and um, why we really have ch decided to focus on education is because when we were the organic cannabis association, we put out um, some certifications, including a pesticide free certification and couldn't get anybody in the industry to buy it. Hmm. And, you know, the bottom line for operators was, what premium am I going to get at the mar at market for this? How? What's the ROI on this? And I could point to, you know, the 55% premium that strawberries get for being organic or the 110% premium that eggs get for being organic. But I couldn't say for certain that, first of all, a pesticide-free certification would do it and what kind of premium would be provided in cannabis. Um, so that was a big barrier. And then later I learned uh, a great little fact. There's a woman up in Portland at the at uh, Lewis and Clark University who's a global ethics professor, which roughly translates to a fair trade expert. And she's been doing all this research into the industry, mostly focused on organizations that provide certification or process validation and sort of rating those organizations and talking about their transparency. It's a process that you see for all other ratings and certifications, whether it's food, electronics, um, or most consumer goods really have some sort of process validation or certification, a stamp, or, you know, we get those little inspected by number 16 stickers. Um, none of that stuff is happening in cannabis. So this woman is rating these organizations that are trying to do it. And one of the first things that she did before getting into the organizations was a consumer survey at retail in Portland, Oregon. And I love this little factoid, and it speaks to me about why we're doing education above everything else. So what she found in Portland is that 55% of consumers thought that all marijuana was natural or organic because it's a plant. <laughs> so 55% think it's all natural or organic, which, which is um, an interesting thing in and of itself. Yeah. Then when you consider that it's Portland, Oregon, right? right, the subject of so many jokes, right, that are not actually the jokes because Portlandia <laughs> is actually supposed to be true to life. Um, you think if 55% of everybody in Portland who's so concerned about local, organic, fair trade, blah, blah, yeah. blah, 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 they can't stop, right, patting themselves on the back. <laughs> If 55% think that there, what do they think in Inglewood or right. in Miami, Florida or Miami, Ohio? You know, I'm, I'm always picking on Ohio with this, but I think the, the point is really obvious. So there's this huge challenge of educating the consumer and letting the consumer know, hey, this isn't the supermarket. This isn't mm -hmm. like most places where you go and buy things to ingest. This is a place where you still have to assert yourself, where rules are still really being made. Um, and that's why we started the What's in My Weed campaign, because when we started to feel around for how to drive this issue, how to create a visceral connection and reaction for consumers, we found that if they got to the point where they were asking, what's in my weed, um, we had broken through. And so we want people to start saying that more. Um, and, and I think as that happens, we'll see that dynamic develop in cannabis, which I think will be good for all operators because the more stability and predictability and meaningful spectrum of price and quality that we have, the more, you know, the more stable we're going to be as an industry and, and the less we can, you know, we have to guess at what's going to happen next.
Absolutely. So, yeah, thanks for setting me up like that. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. No, we've been asking our listeners, too, you know, what's in your weed ever since we, you know, found out about this a couple months ago, back in what, like April or May? We've been trying oh, to really? use the Thank hashtag, you. and people don't know. They have no idea. And so it's good to they, make them aware know. of we the idea. You know, we did a poll. We did a poll. It's amazing because you look at these at these um, edible products or, like, any of these derivative goods, and it's like if you have – some of these chemicals in the raw plant that are getting, you know, concentrated right along next to CBD or THC or CBN or any of these things, you're going to have a concentrated chemical with it. So, you know, it's fascinating to me that these issues haven't gained more traction, particularly in the medical side of the industry. But I, I think, again, that it's an issue of just simple consumer education and we think that that's the thing that makes our organization kind of stand out is that we are a non-for-profit. We have a board comprised of people in the industry um, that are kind of putting their necks out there by standing behind these messages. Um, and we're trying to give people platforms to stand on and say, hey, like this is something that's important to think about. And if you're somebody that goes to the supermarket and buys the green label berries and buys the cage-free yeah, eggs exactly. and buys the grass-fed beef, and then you're going to the dispensary and you're buying the cheapest product you can mm-hmm. find. It's not good. That's a huge it's a no, disconnect. It's a disconnect. It's a huge disconnect. Right? And, <laughs> totally. and I think, again, there's nobody else out there talking about this stuff in that way. Everybody's company talks about how great their products are. Um, there's no accountability fine. either. No. There's nobody checking all these growers that say they're organic. So, And for one, I don't think it's a good thing for growers to be slapping organic on there anyways because like you said – there's accountability with that. There's people who come check you. Well, organic is federally regulated. It's by, you know, what is it? The Department of Ag, I believe. Mm-hmm. And the Department of Ag goes yeah, and checks. And mm-hmm. There's none of that for cannabis companies. And don't fool yourself. So don't be caught up in something that says organic on cannabis. 100%. And, you know, different states have done different things. The state of Washington has an organic like program. Um, the state of California has a mandate to have a, a, an organic program by 2021. Um, the state of Colorado, you know, our organization has tried twice to pass legislation through the state legislature to uh, direct the Department of Ag to uh, basically create an organic program for cannabis in the state. Um, each time it's failed on a party line vote with Republicans voting against it. Um, we did not run it in this most recent legislative season for a couple of reasons, but um, I think that there's still an opportunity to do that in Colorado. Um, the attorney general here did come out almost three years ago now and issued a letter basically saying to people, if you're going to have organic in your name, you have to be able to substantiate it. Um, and I know that several operators, particularly in the Denver metro area, pulled organic from their branding and you can actually drive around town and I won't name names, but if people want to call me or something, I'm happy to name them in private. Um, But you can see these storefronts around Denver where there are still missing spaces on the facade where they took down the word organic from, from the, you know, from the front of the shop. So we've done some things here, but I would agree generally, Jared, like there's a lot of people making claims in their in their marketing or in the sort of subheader of the branding and they you know it's amazing you can flip through a westward and you read about a lot of farmers uh and like all this like natural sounding stuff and 
you know, um, most most growers that are growing in the urban area here in the Denver metro are growing indoors in converted warehouses in highly commercial and, and in many cases highly sort of sterile um, settings. And to call it a farmer is generous, I would say. Right. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, what do you guys see in terms of mislabeling? Do you, I mean, how closely are you guys following how people market and brand their stuff? And like, do you see, do you see a lot of sort of misleading information out there? I think so. Like, so like you'll see all natural or you will see, you know, organically grown. Um, but then it'll also just be kind of like the feel of the packaging. Like it'll be on like nice, like, I don't know, like corrugated cardboard or something. And it looks like it's like recycled and it's just like giving you that facade that maybe that is what that company cares about. They're environmentally friendly. They're worried about sustainability. But I guarantee you, if you go back and actually look at the back and see, you know, where those products came from, that's probably not the, the that's probably not what's happening. Yeah, you know, and I and I, from my perspective, I think it's getting better. Um, I'll be honest. I mean, I I work in Colorado, and I understand you know how the industry works. So I feel much more comfortable consuming in Colorado because I can read the back of the label, know what information to look for, I know how to find it. But that's me. That's not the consumer. Um, recently, we went to D.C. and uh, we bought some product in D.C. and didn't check us for IDs, didn't check us for anything. We got the product. There's no labeling on it. You don't know what is you know what the potency is. You don't know what it's grown. I mean, it smelled good, but then I told Lucy, you know, I don't know what we're smoking. You know, it could be covered in pesticides, and we're not going to have any clue because it never had to go through any testing system. Uh, California, yeah. very similar way. We got out there early uh, midsummer, and it was right before they had to mandate testing in July. So it was right before their big push to start going into a regulated testing industry. So there was all kinds of discounts on products all over. And, of course, people were lapping them up. But it, I knew then that, hey, they're on sale because they're probably not going to pass testing or they're not, you know, caught up with the new regulations. So you don't really know what you're consuming in those products either. Um, so I will say it's coming around. I mean, California implemented testing. Obviously, they've got a probably a, a more full spectrum test that even Colorado does now with you know mycotoxins oh, yeah. and other things, heavy metals. Um, but I will say it's coming around. I'll be positive and say you know Colorado's definitely taken steps, um, and I do feel comfortable you know smoking and utilizing products in Colorado more than other states. But I still think there's plenty of room to grow. Yeah, I would agree. I mean, I. You know, I, I get asked about that a lot. You know, how does Colorado sort of stack up? And we, we've done more than nothing. Mm-hmm. Um, I think, you know, one of our big shortcomings is, uh, you, you said it, right? Like California's testing for heavy metals and other states do more, um, I guess you could say granular tests for microbials. Mm-hmm. And so when I talk about that, you know, like, microbials are things like mold and and fungus and things like that and there are many many types of mold and fungus right and colorado doesn't test for any specific type so mm-hmm. you can have some really bad stuff on your weed and so long as it has less than 10,000 you know it's cfu which is whatever the measurement is then it passes and it doesn't matter how nasty that mold is if it's under 10,000, they say that's okay. And you know, in other markets, you see them testing for specific types of mold and saying certain things like aspergillus is the one that I was trying to think of. Aspergillus, there's four different kinds of aspergillus. It's a deadly mold. Yeah, it's a bit terrible. In Colorado, if you test for 9,999 CFU aspergillus, you pass. Mm-hmm. And that's <laughs> crazy to me. And it's like, that's, that's, it's better than nothing. 
um, which is often what I basically say about Colorado. And, and you know, it, I agree. It's nice that you can look at the label and see what people are smoking. And the, people often ask me, what should I look for? And, you know, my, the response that I've received from people much smarter than myself, people that have letters after their names that I would never even dream of, mm-hmm. tell me if it's hard to pronounce, then it's you don't good. want to yeah, put it in your body. Yeah. Um, you know, if there's a bunch of funky Zs and Zs. Os and, <laughs> and Ys and stuff, like, you don't want that. And it's yeah. amazing to me, you know, even walking around with people that are very forward thinking and are health conscious and everything else and they'll like whip a joint out of their pocket and they'll be like yo man you want to smoke this like well you know and i'll be like "Mm, what's in it and they're like and i'm like let's look at the label because we're in colorado and nine times out of ten the label has pesticides listed on there that are on the approved list of course and this is another problem that, that you still just don't want to smoke because the you don't want to smoke that complicated bit of a chemical. There's no science in it. Like there's no real research around it of what it means to set these things on fire and inhale it. And so again, I think for people that have the resources, both, you know, intellectual and and unfortunately financial to pay more, I think that they would pay more Mm -hmm. for a good organic uh, product. They just, you know, more than half of them think that everything is organic. So they're just like, where's the cheapest thing there is? Because right. it's all good. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And Absolutely. so that's why what's in my weed, I think, is really important. And again, having a group that's a nonprofit that doesn't have a product to sell behind it, we're not going to market our natural process and our farmers and any of that stuff. Right? We don't have any of that to say. We just want people to, to sort of ask questions. And so that's a big focus of ours is, is doing that consumer outreach. We also are doing some of that targeted towards the industry, and we focus more there on showing them the benefits that other industries receive for these kinds of production. And and the biggest benefit, for sure, is around organic. Um, Last summer, we worked with Dr. Bronner's Soap um, to kind of untangle some of these legal issues, right? Because there are some legal issues around the use of the word organic and, and all of that. Um, And we believe that there is a path forward to certified product as organically grown in the cannabis industry today. We think we can do that today. Mm -hmm. The problem is that I can't say to a grower or a retailer, here's what to charge for it. Here's exactly what the demand is. So we need to get consumers to start coming in the store and saying, where's the organic? What What are you growing with this? You know, what are you growing this with? What's in my wheat? Um, and as that starts to happen, the rest of it will shake out. Um, and we are trying to be in a position to become that sort of trusted resource for this is a group that you can trust to get information and help you find the right products. And then over time, the group that will have a stamp that we can put on product and say, this is it. This is the certified good stuff. Mm-hmm. That's awesome. Yeah. And I, I want consumers to, to be aware, too, that it's not just flour that you should be asking that. I mean, you touched on the concentrates earlier, and I really want to drive home that point that concentrates are probably just as bad, if not worse, because uh, it's more, I mean, it is what it is, it's a concentrated product. Um, so you have to be, you know, checking the labels, checking everything, you know, you can't just smell it and smell, you know, is this bad or not? You're going to see, you're going to have to read. You can't, a lot of those things, it's hard to smell it, and, you know, I mean, what's a little bit scarier, too, and you know this, Jared, with the with the processed goods, they they are treated and like there's all this processing that goes on Mm -hmm. and even though you might have higher rates of certain pesticides it's it's sometimes harder to detect once it's in that edible product 
Oh, so it can really complex. get masked pretty easily in that process. And then you also hit on the, another really important item, both in Colorado and really around the country, which is back to testing. So in Colorado, we now have, and I say we now, as of August 1st of 2018, we now have mandatory pesticide testing in Colorado, right? Yep. And operators made a big deal out of that. And even operators that I think are doing things, you know, totally above board will tell you that there's been an added cost to doing business. Mm -hmm. That's, I appreciate it. We're still only testing for 13 pesticides in Colorado. There are literally tens of thousands of pesticide products on the market. There are over 75 pesticide products that the state of Colorado has banned. Wow. So which is we only like test the tip for 13. of the iceberg. Yeah. And I'm on the Colorado Pesticide Stakeholder Committee Working Group or whatever it's called. And, and you know, I've, I've been at these meetings and this, this rule only came into place August 1st of this year, but all the action happened about three years ago and two years ago. And when they were finally setting this up, you know, the state of Colorado, the Department of Public Health and Environment, in one of their meetings said, well, we've now worked with the 13 certified labs and are prepared to start testing to find our zero parts per million test. Would any operators like to volunteer product to test to help get the, 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 um, the yeah, you guys know what I'm trying to say. Yeah. Calibration, that's Calibration right, to get the test calibrated. And, you know, I won't name names again. I'm happy to in private. But people that can afford lobbyists and that can afford, um, you know, extra personnel, hands went up. The question was, are you only going to test for the 13 products? The state answered, yes, we're only going to test for the 13 products. Hands went back up. Happy to submit samples. So what does that tell you? They're using These other operators are like, oh, we're happy to help you figure out how to test for pesticides. Are you only going to test for these 13 products? Oh, You're yeah, because we're that, good. Right? So. Okay, good. We're happy to, happy to help out. Yeah. So even though some people don't like to say it, the reality is even in a market like Colorado, it's, we're still essentially in a self-regulated environment where growers are able to cheat pretty easily mm -hmm. by using products that they know the test the state isn't going to test for or by doing things to manipulate their samples because what we're, what we're doing in Colorado is called batch processing so we're only doing batch validation so and Jared you probably can speak to this more than I can but essentially a grower has to submit samples from one part of their cycle from one part of the year and for most grows in the state of Colorado, you're talking about indoor production, not the type of stuff that you guys are doing down there in the South. You're talking about multiple harvests a year, multiple batches, you know, constant, constant turnover. And they're only getting tested for one batch. And often it's just one little piece of that one little batch. So if they just manipulate the sample that they send in for testing, they're good for the year for everything they do yep. without any additional testing. So they could, if they were so inclined, do a totally clean operation when they know that they're going to get a test and then just start cutting corners like crazy for the rest of the year. Now, that's not a great practice. What, in my view, is much more likely is that they're cutting corners all the time and that they're doing things to manipulate their samples and manipulate their batches, like microwaving them or soaking them in um, chemicals to evade testing. I mean, there's all kinds of gross stuff that can go on. So 
that's again part of why we started this thing we really want consumers to start thinking about this and start connecting the dots and part of the way we built the campaign um, geared towards consumers is by prompting them you know your tomatoes are organic what about your weed your your yeah. cookies are gluten-free what about your weed and we, we've got about seven of those videos that i'll send send over and share with you guys that help sort of connect the dots for people but then yeah. the other issue with that is, okay, so then the consumer is aware of this, but then they're going to a dispensary and the bud tender has no idea. They have no idea what's in your weed and don't quite frankly care. And then you have the other issue where like the grower, so we work pretty closely with a testing lab and they're trying to get their customers um, to use a QR code and to put their yeah. information so people can like scan it and nobody wants to do that. Mm -hmm. So it's like, what are you going to do when all these other players don't want to be involved as well and get on the bandwagon? And it's a market pressure thing at the end of the day. And, it, you know, it just, I'm always reminded of these conversations I had when I was trying to sell the pesticide free certification. Um, and I'm, I'm pretty good at selling stuff, guys. Like, I've been doing it since I was a little kid. And I continue to do it today. And, like, people pay me to talk, you know. And I couldn't sell the damn thing. And it's because. You know, bottom line, operators, even operators that market that way and that position their brand as like clean and whatever, they don't have consumers walking in the door asking for organic. And it comes back to what the woman in Portland found, right? I mean, it, that's not happening because people believe that it is organic because it's a plant. And it's, it's, it's only a matter of time. It's not a question of if, it's when, right? Because let's go to any supermarket, and this is another fun little fact, Walmart is the number one seller of organic produce in America. Crazy. Walmart. They're a big, and, like, and local why is that? Because we too, all want right. organic. Huh. Everybody wants to be healthy. There was just a great survey that, survey that came out from the Pew Charitable Trust. They do great surveys. Um, they found that people with food stamps, people on, um, like, SNAP benefits, all actually have the same attitudes towards health and healthy eating as, like, the most affluent people in society it's not a question of desire or even awareness at this point people are aware that like the better quality stuff you put in your body the better your body is going to do at this point it's it's really about the means and that's especially true in food and in cannabis it's just about helping like fire those synapses and like connect those dots because the whole foods consumer the people that are going to walmart and buying the same green label that you might buy at Safeway or King Supers or Whole Foods or wherever, um, they all want the same thing. And they just, in cannabis, there's there's the twofold thing. There's one thing I've already been talking about, which is there's this lack of education. And then two, um, I think, and this is kind of a personal thing that I think a lot of people in the industry perceive, but you are so, this proliferation of choice is still very new, right? Like, People are still experiencing their their own personal version of half baked. <laughs> you guys have seen half baked, right? Yeah. And he's like at the desk and he's Maui, Maui, right? just looking at that whole room full of weed, right? And it's like amazing. And like I remember watching that movie when I was a kid, and I smoked I smoked pot. I was I you can Google me. I have some funny things on my on my uh, search results, and like, I, I've been around a little bit. I I was like, yeah, look at all that weed when I saw half baked, you know, and like. Now I'm numb to it. Now I'm in a grow all the time. I'm in a store all the time. My people want to give me stuff all the time, and I'm blessed, and I really enjoy it. And I, it's like I always tell people, my high school self would be like <laughs> two thumbs up and <laughs> up and down, you know. And um, but 
it's so new, right? Five years ago, if you if you had a dealer that had like more than one kind of pot, yeah, you had an amazing oh, pot dealer, right? Right. That's very true. And like maybe it's 10 years ago for some of us that live in markets like Colorado, but it's an experience that we all know where you had that person uh, and like maybe it was a pain. You didn't want to go to their house or you like, you didn't want to meet them in whatever sketchy place or you're like, Oh, they're going to come to my house. Like I kind of want them to like keep it moving. <laughs> right. And it's like, you know, I, you guys, I don't know if you guys have been to New York and had this experience. Like, there's some great delivery services in Manhattan. Well, that's what just there's happened like, with the DC shit, thing. You know? It's like amazing. People show up <laughs> and they've got like four or five different kinds of weed, and you're like, "This is cool as shit." Yeah. <laughs> that's nothing compared to walking into a dispensary today. Yeah. They're yeah, just like, not. it's like Mind Willy blown. Wonka's Chocolate Factory right. in every damn store you walk into. Yeah, yeah. picture Toys R Us as a kid. That is weed now. Yeah. 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 So like. When you're in there and like some people are like me or like us and we're like a little bit giddy or like this is amazing. Other people are like, this is fucked up. Like this is crazy. <laughs> I need to get out of here as fast as possible. <laughs> you're taking my ID. I, is that what are you doing with that information? Right? Like people are paranoid about this stuff because it was recently and still is federally illegal. Right. True. And so I think it's hard for consumers even people who are really serious about their health, who whom I know a lot of people that are very serious about their health, that are fascinated about CBD, that are fascinated about low-dose THC, and they ask me all the time because I'm like a weed guy. Like, I was always the dummy in my friend group, right? Like, I'm a pretty smart guy, but, like, my friends are all, like, fucking brain surgeons. <laughs> and, you know, they, now I'm like, I know this stuff about this stuff, and it's like, guys, just go in and ask. And there, it, there's this still a little bit of fear. And to me, like... We, Stuff like what we're doing, and we haven't talked about the sustainability stuff yet, but like all this stuff, whether it's clean weed or ethical production or sustainable practices, the more that these things kind of get adapted by cannabis, the more mainstream we're going to become and the bigger the market's going to be and the, like, the more of my friends that are asking these questions that like are having a glass of wine are going are gonna to switch over to having like a, a dab of CBD or you know a, a sublingual spray or a sublingual strip or you know something really subtle mm -hmm. um, but we've got to work through these issues and again I, I think that this little niche subject of really clean production and of getting these consumers that care so much about the food is going to help stabilize a lot of the rest of it because as soon as you establish what the sort of top shelf top tier highest quality production is then nobody else can argue, right? Like yeah, if it's absolutely. all certified, it's all documented, it's all transparent, and you've got a seal on it that people can believe in, then everything else has to flow from there. Mm -hmm. So, so start I, I asking you your bartenders what's in your weed. Yeah. Like seriously, Sorry, but then it's like, what are you gonna do when they say, you didn't address the fact that when they don't know, then what? When people don't know? Yeah, when the, like the bud tenders don't know and half of the bud tenders don't know. Yeah, I mean, it's a challenge and so, you know, the answer is, in part, um, we need to do more things to get what's in my weed out there. We have some great partners. I need to keep doing stuff like this. Um, you know, we really need more support from the industry itself. We do have a strong board. If you go to whatsinmyweed.org, you'll see that we've got about 20 companies, including some great brands like 1906 mm -hmm. and Stillwater and, um, you know, Yerba Buena in Oregon. Um, and I can go on and on go to whatsinmyweed.org and you can see the sponsors. We need more people in the industry to embrace this kind of message. And I think it's starting to happen. Uh, you know, when you see a company like 1906, um, which if, if people don't know 1906, Google it. They make great high-end chocolate products. 
and their leadership team is really serious. Um, their CEO was a former COO of, I, th I think, either New York Stock Exchange or NASDAQ. I mean, this guy was in the very top of the top um, in the financial circles in the, in the world. Um, and he's now operating a cannabis company, and, and he's invested with us. Um, but we need more of that. Uh, we need more operators all over the country. Um, we need more people that are willing to stand behind that message and willing to say, you know, we will put our product behind this because we believe that when this kind of scrutiny comes, that we'll survive. Um, and, and I think, frankly, that's, like I said, starting to happen. It's still a slow process, but we've got some great supporters here in Colorado, so I just toss them out legal um, here in Denver, um, organic alternatives up in Fort Collins, and then also Verde, also here in Denver, um, are all supporters, all our cultivators, all um, are doing things above and beyond, and they need for their businesses to survive and really thrive. They need these kinds of messages to, to work and to resonate. So they're not investing with us necessarily because they think this is the end all be all of what they have to do, but th there's so little out there, frankly, that they they like when they see a message like this, they they fly to it. So we're hopeful to be announcing some new additions from California soon, um, and some other sort of stuff in the works. But that's really what we need is is more sort of amplification. Cool. So you guys are also doing a, a symposium. Um, by the time this airs, we'll already pass the, the one here in Denver. Um, but, yeah. but tell us a little bit about that, kind of a general overview and, and where people can find more information about the symposium. Sure. So I've alluded to sustainable production a couple of times. Um, and one of the things that we do is put on the Cannabis Sustainability Symposium. Um, it's actually coming up th this week, the week of the recording, um, on October 26th here in Denver. This is our third annual. Um, we will be having uh, another one in Denver next year. We're going to be in the fall and sort of going through dates now. So that'll be announced probably around the new year. Um, this symposium has been a great event the first two years. We're really expecting more of the same this year. We bring in um, speakers from various industries from all over the country to talk about um, lessons that they've learned in sustainability and the possible applications and connections to the cannabis industry. Um, so this year we've got a gentleman from the Craft Brewers Association, um, which is a huge national organization of craft craft brewers in the beer industry. Um, this gentleman actually designed their sustainability program. They have some really cool stuff going on in craft beer, tracking water use, because um, they're a huge water user, um, and also energy. Um, so they're going to talk about the um, sort of database that they've created, and the, they're, they're able to generate essentially scores for how different craft brewers do with their water and energy use, and are able to really help drive um, business-driven, sustainable decision-making um, at the craft brewing level. So we're very excited about him. His name is John Steer. Um, in years past, we've had David Bronner, who's the CEO of Dr. Bronner Soap. Um, the first year, we had a gentleman named Joel Salatin, um, who is a multiple-time author himself and was famously featured in Michael Pollan's book, yeah. Food Inc., Joel, um, yeah. and also uh, in the He's film great. Food Inc., um, and Salatin is really a character. Oh he was gosh. our keynote the first year. You know, David Bronner last year was pretty interesting. I'm sure people know Dr. Bronner's soap. Um, the Bronners are huge supporters of regenerative agriculture and sustainable agriculture and are, are kind of getting more and more into the marijuana side. 
of the cannabis space. They've been in the hemp universe for a long time. Um, and having him come and speak was, was great. Uh, it was a little bit out there. He <laughs> talked about dosing the water supply and how everybody under 18 should be like dosed with acid okay. so that they've had the experience. Um, so that was interesting because we do partner with the city of Denver on this event. And this year we've actually also had the state of Colorado wow. uh, as a partner. So um, always sort of interesting to see a guy like that get up on stage and start making remarks in that light um, with some of the people that we have in the room. But I digress. <laughs> it's been a great event and really um, I'm, I'm naming off the keynote speakers that we've had, but what I what I think is super interesting and compelling about the event is is actually the content itself. And the keynotes are cool, but we try and get well. Let me phrase this differently. We try and curate all of the content to be focused on either operational um, elements um, or on you know, key regulatory and policy shifts. So we try to make sure that every panel that we have gives the audience actionable intelligence. So if you're, you know, we have some stuff this year on, um, we've got a great debate, for example, on the efficacies of different power approaches. So we've got a greenhouse guy debating with a solitude guy, um, and they're going to talk about the different efficiencies that they can achieve and the, the sort of validity of one process over the other in different, in different areas and you know i think the audience will be able to take away okay well i'm in this kind of scenario and you know clearly this solution is better and that's that's really what we're trying to do so you know so many of these trade shows are sort of rote and you get up you know you listen to these panels and a lot of it is marketing and they're talking about what they're doing and what they've done and how much money they've raised and this and that and it surely is interesting. Um, it's fascinating. But if you're an operator, there's not a lot to take away from it. Um, nobody is really getting up on stage and telling people the secrets of how they raised you know, $50 million or how they sold their company for $50 million or anything like that. You know, A lot of that is just talk. Mm -hmm. And um, we really believe in giving this kind of content to people so that they can go back to their business and say, we're going to make these changes because these sustainable guys from Excel or another utility, we have different regulators coming in from around the country, um, different people who have been sustainable experts in ag, in tech, um, all over come in and speak. So it's been a great sort of confluence of thought leadership from the broader sustainable community and the cannabis industry. Um, we've had some great companies involved in it um, just on the planning committee. So year over year, these groups have been part of organizing this thing. And I'm talking about like Native Roots, Good Chemistry, WANA, Grasslands Agency, which is led by Ricardo Baca. Um, some great names have been involved um, in a deep way. And so I think, and then also being partnered with the city of Denver lends it a lot of credibility and it also brings a lot of resources, right? Because they have some really cool programming that they do themselves as the city. And then because of their position as the city, they are part of this sort of national dialogue and so are able to pull people in from those resources. So it's been a great event. Um, we've seen other events kind of crop up that also touch on sustainability. Uh, but frankly, um, we've found that this one has been pretty resilient and 
Um, you know, one of the things that we did this year was we added MJ Biz as a as a media partner, which we're very excited about. Um, I think everybody knows and and recognizes that they do the biggest um, cannabis conferences in the world. Um, and so having their imprimatur on the on the show, I think, is going to be great. Um, and in 2019, we'll actually be doing uh, four additional shows in addition to the symposium itself in Denver. We're going to do four symposium series. Um, two on each coast um, we're not quite ready to announce yet but two on the east coast two on the west coast um, there'll be spring summer kind of shows um, to lead into the next symposium here in denver in the fall we're very excited about that mj biz is, is going to be participating in that so will pro grow tech um, and we're talking to a few other national sponsors about doing that so we're very excited to be spreading that brand a little bit and also taking the the content and the messaging um, to other markets because we really think there's a huge appetite for this you know if you look at massachusetts for example where they have this 35 you know uh watt per bulb limit um, some of these issues are not just about what best practices are and what might be the most cost efficient they're really facing down the barrel of real regulation and they have to comply or otherwise they cannot operate. Yeah. Um, and as you two know, this is a compliance business first. Yeah. You don't comply, you're not in business. Yeah. So uh, it's it's been great and it's, a, I think, a really cool event. So it's CannabisSustainability.org is a great place to go learn about it. Awesome. Cool. Yeah. Well, that's cool. Well, thank you so much for educating everybody on all of the things that we're doing here in Denver and around the world now. Um, so for listeners yeah. everywhere, so what is in your weed? You know, just start to ask. I mean, it might even be silly. Maybe you should start even asking your drug dealer. I don't know. But, well, you know, yeah. There's on What's in My Weed, we're, we're actually going to be adding some FAQs. Um, and we're, we're, we're developing a database of all certified products in North America. So we're going to have a database of every like certified product. Currently, if you go to the website, there's 10 or 11 different certifications that you can learn about on the website. Um, if you click through to the certifications, you can find certified product through them. Uh, but we're developing a more comprehensive database that we'll be publishing hopefully around the new year as well with every certified product you can find uh, in America. Um, so that'll be exciting. So what's in my weed.org or hashtag what's in my weed. Yeah, start using that hashtag for sure. Please. All right, Ben. Well, thank you so much for being on the show. We appreciate it. It's a pleasure. Thank you both. Thank you so much for having me. I really yeah, appreciate it. Man. And I'm flattered. Thank you. Appreciate it. All right. And with that, I'm Lit. And I'm Lucid. And that's it. Laters. This episode of Lit and Lucid Podcast is produced in partnership with YooHoo Creative and Design. YooHoo Creative specializes in marketing, social media management, content creation, and other creative needs. YooHoo, helping your company become who you need to be. If you're interested in learning more, hit us up at yoohooCreative at gmail.com.